We are the existentialists. Four existential psychotherapists invite you to join us in a dialogue about what it means to live an existentially tuned life. Your hosts are Xavier Williams, therapist in Vancouver, Canada. Janelle Dresner, therapist in Edmonton, Canada. Chelsea Stenner, therapist in South Surrey, Canada. And Mihaela Lounano, therapist in Vancouver, Canada. So welcome to episode four of our podcast. Today, we're going to be discussing the topic of home, especially considering that many of us are spending quite a large amount of time inside our homes. This topic becomes particularly relevant. The existential dynamic of home is one that people really can resonate with and that can speak deeply to us, but we may not fully realize our own embeddedness in home and how home manifests and speaks to us on the daily. So just to kick things off, considering that we are spending quite a bit of time at home, what is home like for you guys? Do you mean at the moment? Well, at the moment, being at home is hmm, getting a bit tiresome. Particularly as an extrovert, I kind of bristle against monotony. Mm. Although my apartment is large by, let's say, Vancouver standards, it is inhabited, cohabited with a four-year-old, and that makes the space shrink rather rapidly because he's always there, always. And so 1,500 square feet becomes like five square feet. Mm. But otherwise, yeah, it's, in my experience, a bit boring. The same thing every day. One of my clients said to me, oh, what are you doing this weekend? And my response was, oh, well, same thing I've been doing for every weekend for the last few weeks, like mm-hmm. going home and staying there largely. Obviously, today we're recording. But yeah, it's funny to be in a place where at home, in my home, which is a place that I come and go from typically, whereas now it's a place just that I'm in all the time, most of the time. So, Very so before COVID... Did you like your home? Do you like your home? Do you like to be in it? Yes, I do. Yeah, absolutely, I do. I mean, I'm very fortunate in the place that I live in. It's got a lovely view. It's spacious. It's absolutely enjoyable. But I do like being outside. And then when I come home, I really enjoy it. Mm. I really enjoy coming home. But But you'd like the freedom to leave. To leave. I'd like the freedom to leave. And I'd like to have the extended periods away in order to enjoy Mm. being Mm. at home. To miss it enough to miss it. Yeah, I don't know if it's ever a missing for me so much as a when I'm home, it's nice. But when I'm away, I don't miss it. Yeah. I know that's different for for a lot of people, people who are homebodies, let's say. Mm -hmm. Like me. Yeah, I love being in my house. I have a house. Being in Edmonton is a little bit of a different situation than being in some of the major cities in Canada in terms of affordability. So I have a house. I quite enjoy being in it. Definitely a homebody, definitely a hobbit at heart. And so people have been asking me how it's been for me. And it's like, well, this is kind of a dream come true. So I do quite enjoy being in my office. And I have certain rooms and spaces in my house where I do different things. And I really have been enjoying kind of going between the different rooms and then also reorganizing and cleaning and rearranging so that my flow in the home can be better. And then I've also been enjoying recently the change in weather. So that home has now expanded to my backyard and my front yard. So I've been enjoying getting it prepared for summer and doing yard work. And yeah, I quite like being home. I haven't felt trapped in it yet. Mm -hmm. I like that notion of your home expanding. As the season expands. Well, I definitely, compared to some of you guys who live in an apartment, that's, it's a difference in having a yard and having a bit more Mm -hmm. space to take up, especially when the snow goes away. It's like, oh, my life has just expanded. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I imagine opening your door to the world rather than just to the elevator lobby. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And I happen to live in a neighborhood too where... The houses kind of look like we're in a fairy garden, like this neighborhood is a fairy garden. Everything is so cute and individual and 
we live in a bit of a place where either like young couples start or retired couples retire too. So the gardens are really well maintained. I was just thinking about that the other day, looking outside my window of how nice it is to be able to look at houses that are just extremely aesthetically pleasing. Everybody on the street cares about their yard. So it's really beautiful. I feel fortunate. If I was there, I would be the house that had the rock lawn. (laughs) (laughs) There are a couple of those. (laughs) So you do not like yard work. No, mm-hmm. I don't. Oh, I would I would um, be right in the yard doing yard work, Janelle. Oh, would you? With you? Yes, absolutely. I don't have a backyard. I have a balcony, but <laughs> with flowers, lots of flowers. So yeah, I, and herbs. So I, I really enjoy that. Oh, really? I really enjoy that a lot. But overall, I, I didn't find myself spending more time at home and, as usual, than usual, sorry, in this time. Because I have an office, so I'm doing my um, online sessions with clients from my office. Mm -hmm. So having an office and experiencing what Sav described as the rhythm of (laughs) going home and leaving home. So that stayed pretty much the same for me, like that regularity. So yeah, I didn't feel particularly oppressed by staying at home more time than usual. However, I live in a very tiny space with my husband, daughter, and a pretty big dog, a golden retriever. So that's pretty, it's not a lot of space. So that's why leaving home, coming to my office, being outside a lot. So actually I feel quite at home outside, especially in the spring. So I felt more at home under a tree or in a park or taking a hike like then at home home. And at home, I I had to be a bit creative and rearrange and improvise an office, ad hoc office, for when I cannot use my office. So that was good. I like the creativity of rearranging such a small space. It really (laughs) takes a lot of creativity. But I like challenges and I like that. But yeah, so I would say that I didn't uh, feel significantly different in relationship to home during these times. Yeah, I'm a bit of a split, I guess, between how Zav feels and how Hyla feels, because I'm still going to the office as well, and my office is bigger than my home, so I feel like I have more space there, but I'm still seeing clients online there, and so my Monday to Friday looks about the same as it did before, just my weekends are a lot quieter now. And being at home, I also have a husband and a very big dog and big dogs taking up a lot of space and she has a lot of energy right now. So she's used to going out to play a lot more than she is. And so I've noticed our space has also felt smaller since then. But for me to be at home, I think is quite comfortable. I feel like I am quite creative in finding things to do. And so I haven't really felt too bored yet but I could anticipate that happening if this goes on for a lot longer Mm -hmm. let's hope it won't (laughs) anyway that's my hope that we will return to some level of normality also I don't believe in normality Mm -hmm. but I'm I'm missing another better word do you think that whenever you know we stop social distancing or physical distancing that it'll change your relationship to your home no, <laughs> I don't think so. In my case, I don't anticipate. It's a very nuanced answer. Yeah, very nuanced. Yes, like, well, I saw that for once I can uh, express a clear positioning here. I know I don't think so because I don't feel that it has changed as a result of this too much. So that's why I was so confidently answering no. I think I might notice a, an increase in external activity for myself. Mm-hmm. Certainly a, an attempt to maximize time to do things, to see people, to be places. But that's more kind of outside home. Yes, but still a relationship to home. Yeah, spending less time at home. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I mean, for some of my clients, I think, especially those who have to now work from home, have changed the way that they view their home and Mm -hmm. the, the approach they take with it. Or just it has invited more intentional reflection on how they use their space. And even questioning, like, do I need this much space? Would I like more space? How is it for me to be in my space? And I think that reflective process will have an impact for people moving forward. 
even if as we get back to maybe normal or a new normal sets in, that perhaps some of those pieces that did change will endure and maybe some won't. I think I'm in the uh, needing more space camp. I just realized I spent a good portion of yesterday online looking at new places to live. (laughs) So maybe that's telling. Oh, yeah. I think on a larger level in places like Vancouver where space is limited, maybe it's more of a hope than an anticipation, but that new buildings are going to be maybe designed with a little bit more of a community feel. Mm -hmm. So I don't know about your guys' apartment, but... I don't see my neighbors ever. Yeah, I don't, I don't even know their names. I don't know their names either. Same. And, and yet, you it's know that cat in the hallway. We do know the cat in the hallway. That's true. That's true. I do know the dogs because my dog hates them. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah. We know the dogs. Animals yeah. are good neighbors. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, that's so interesting to notice that. Yeah. Yeah. Because every every mm-hmm. night at that the, the seven p.m. cheer, right? Neighbors from the building across, mm-hmm. we can see and they wave at us, and then yeah. you're kind of getting mm-hmm. a bit of familiarity. Yeah, true. Um, which I think people, I'm hoping people might mm-hmm. want a bit more of or remember how important becoming neighbors and community is. One of the things I've been finding my envy rising in me is people, I suppose like you, Janelle, who live in houses mm-hmm. and who have neighbors and who mm. can talk to the neighbors of the fence or who meet in their alley for their social distancing afternoon aperitif. Mm-hmm. Right? Again, which in a condo with strata rules and mm-hmm. and what have you is yeah lacking so mm-hmm. we were already doing social distancing in those condos and <laughs> apartments yes. yeah we're well practiced <laughs> we practice we are well trained yeah but but for me all this discussion also brings another question like do i feel at home in this culture in the world so like expanding a bit the feeling of home or at home because I think my relationship with my own physical space called home, it, it's not likely to change, but I definitely feel that my relationship with being at home in the world, in this particular world, is changing and shifting. Is changing and shifting? Yes. Oh. Definitely. I feel the <laughs> tides, the shifting tides underneath, like how I feel that I belong or want to belong, not want to belong to this particular corner of the world and to the world at large. So in that sense, the question becomes, am I at home in the world? Or how is that relationship changing? More than just my physical space at home, my apartment. What do you mean by at home in the world? Wait, before you get into I think that it is important to highlight exactly what you're saying is that we've talked about a physical space being home, but that home existentially mm-hmm. means a lot more than just physical space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that it does involve belonging, where I belong, Mm -hmm. where I feel my existence come into being, where I feel my existence is supported and has the space to be, which isn't necessarily a physical dwelling, though easier to start there in some senses. Mm -hmm. So thank you. Let's, yeah, continue to expand what it means to actually be at home. Mm -hmm. And what um, is home? Mm -hmm. Like on these Mm -hmm. multiple levels that you suggested, Janelle, like I think with our apartment or house, backyard or balcony, and even um, to our own body and then the larger world, culture, where we live, and then the world of being human, this planet, and so on. And so it's changing the way... Yeah, like I try to um, bring in more into a concrete example, because that obviously sounds very abstract, like, do I feel at home in this world? And what if I don't? And what? Anyways, not going all the way. It's a good <laughs> question. But like what I meant was like, for example, walking downtown on a certain day and having a, an experience that um, the world as I knew it is not the world that I encountered on, on that particular afternoon. Like it was a very different city and a very different world living in that city. Like that kind of shattering of some assumptions about the world in which we live, including like, let's start with a very basic one that is kind of, it's almost like indoctrinated. It's a slogan, like we safety first, enjoy responsibly, we are safe, we are all safe and all that. Well, that is kind of shattering, isn't it? Mm. So is our world safe? The world in which we are moving these days and 
Is, is, is it a, homey? Is that a general question or is that a personal question? Very personal. And I think, but I don't think it affects only me. And I don't think I'm the only one feeling. Yeah, it was more for, for yes. listeners to kind of yeah. ask themselves mm-hmm. rather than mm-hmm. than really to ask an objective, yeah. subjective question whether mm-hmm. Canada is safe. Mm-hmm. Well, my daughter had an interesting comment. She said, well, we are living in the safest country in the world. And I kind of paused and looked at her and I said, better don't say anything right now because we are in the middle of COVID and she needs to believe that. I don't disagree with her. Mm-hmm. Objectively. Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. But is uh, it really? Uh, yes. <laughs> I, I, I mean, there might mm. be Singapore might be a contender mm. and New Zealand and mm-hmm. Switzerland maybe, but we're talking about fine margins here. Mm-hmm. I say that I, I do come from South Africa and so safety is a, mm-hmm. it's a relative concept. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I would say I've never felt scared mm-hmm. in this city. Mm-hmm. Oh, except for a few weeks ago was the first time. That was because of the absence of people mm-hmm. rather than the presence of people. Yes, exactly. Did that make you feel unsafe? Yes, I felt yes. unsafe, but that didn't mm-hmm. mean I was unsafe. That's right. So it was mm-hmm. a very eerie experience, very strange, like this unsafety coming from the strangeness of the experience. Yes. To be at home in the world, do we need to feel safe? That's a or great Or does that question. include the feeling mm-hmm. of safety? Because I think that's what we're, mm-hmm. what we're maybe discussing. Right yeah, this is what came up for me, like when I am uh, following that question of feeling at home in the world. And I think I, I never believed in the safety slogans and I always consider it a, a bit of an illusion or delusion. But I still walking in the city in which I live with in the absence of people and there are other things coming alive <laughs> in the absence of life. Like I definitely, the issue of can this be home? And is it safe that these questions came up? I think what you're addressing or bringing up reminds me of a word and a term that I learned a few years ago called solastalgia. And Mm. essentially what it means is Mm. when your home is no longer home, Mm -hmm. you're still in the same place, Mm -hmm. but it has changed so significantly that it's lost that feeling of home. Mm-hmm. And I think usually it's used in terms of the environment when you see environmental changes that have brought like widespread destruction mm-hmm. to a place that makes it hardly recognizable. But I think mm-hmm. that there's yeah, yeah. a bit of overlap Thank in how it that. could be applied. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I can imagine that occurring in during political change as well, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, where you I don't know, you grew up in a, a totalitarian country and suddenly you mm-hmm. leave and then you come back and it's this relatively free, liberal-esque kind of place. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, it's not what you remember. Mm-hmm. Except that this was a very quick, sudden change. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like, I mean, for me, sorry, my experience has been that, okay, I was in the same city two or three days before that experience and then it has already changed into something else and it was everything was very familiar and yet, very foreign. So it was also the, the quickness of the Can change. you elaborate on the changes that you noticed that stood out to you mm-hmm. that made it bring up that feeling of change or loss, that mm-hmm. it's not the same? Well, the absence of people, mm-hmm. except for the homeless people. And that made me feel even like more connected to, to them and thinking that, well, they don't have a home like most of us have, not even a six hundred square feet apartment with a big dog and stuff like that. But so they were there. They were kind of like remnants like of a, of a city that used to be more vibrant than that. So yeah, so the absence of people, the absence of life that I guess people come bring with them when they do life together. But I think that also brings up like home as a refuge too. Mm-hmm. For mm-hmm. me, when I see the homeless people, I, mm-hmm. I feel really sad. Yes. Like there's nowhere them to go we can take shelter and refuge Mm -hmm. in our homes throughout this Mm -hmm. but for them how are they supposed to self-isolate and there's no escape yeah Yeah. and yet that highlights one dimension of home to Mm -hmm. have a physical Mm -hmm. shelter or dwelling yeah and yet as we've highlighted existentially home can be different from that more than that Mm -hmm. I think like just to go back a bit to Chelsea's invitation to elaborate, I think what I I point to like it's home as a feeling or as a state, not feeling as a state, even as a mood, like that city on that afternoon was not home and was not homey 
And it comes from various fragments, perceptions and all that. But ultimately it created in me that experience of the world has changed dramatically and I don't feel at home here. On that afternoon, again, I don't want to make it like into a metaphysical statement to create anxieties. I don't feel at home in this world. I want to leave this world. Not that, not in that way, but like on that particular day, that particular place that was not homey. So how would we then find or recreate mm-hmm. or yeah, find is probably the better word to find home, find our home, mm-hmm. and not necessarily our house or our mm-hmm. tiny apartment, but mm-hmm. where we are at home, where we can be at home, where we may, might perpetually be at home. I remember one of the most impactful teachings in the existential process for me thus far has been the idea of my body being my first home mm-hmm. in this world. That always deeply resonated with me, that no matter wherever I go, I have my body because my body is me. Mm-hmm. And I came into this world in my body mm-hmm. and actually a body within a body. Really, mm-hmm. when you think about my mom being inside my mother's womb and not being my first home. So it's a really beautiful picture mm-hmm. for me that I have my body. I have mm-hmm. a home. And that when I'm disembodied, when I'm out of touch with my body, I do feel groundless. I do feel less safe. I do feel more estranged from myself and my being. And I think that it is helpful for some of my clients who are going through transition, maybe changes in their actual physical home, whether it's just moving houses, but in the same city or moving to a different city or or making a big change and moving out of their parents' house into their own house, but that they remain. Mm-hmm. They take their bodies with them and they go to sleep with their bodies and they wake up with their bodies and they enjoy life with their bodies. And I think that's just a really beautiful concept. And I, I do start there for myself in where I feel at home. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think about that in terms f- for me, and I've never thought about it as being you know, at home in my body, although I, I quite am, but Certainly, I've always felt at home wherever I am, whether that was growing up in Cape Town, whether that was living in London, whether that's living here, even the other cities in the world that I've traveled to that I barely know that I've been walking around the streets and going, even here I can feel at home. And I suppose that, you know, the common denominator there is me, is my body, but I've never thought of it in my body so much. It's much more of a, a feeling, a presence. I'm becoming very loosely abstract here, a witness with being with Mm. myself. Yeah, I can echo that too in having visited different places in the world and done a lot of traveling and living for a time in Central America. I definitely do have that sense of feeling at home with myself. And I think more and more it's grown into like an embodied awareness of being in my body and that's also home. But there is also just kind of this sense of it's a feeling. It's this Mm -hmm. presence. I'm with myself. Mm -hmm. I accompany myself wherever I go. And that is homey. That's comfortable for me. Yeah, And and for me, it's like I can totally relate to that inner feeling like of being at home with myself. And I think I never had any difficulties with that, wherever I, I was. For me, again, the the question remains like, yeah, so me with myself, I feel at home wherever I am. And the question for me personally is like, and how am I in the world with me at home? Mm. So that um, going back like to the question that I posed before. Can can you kind of say that in mm -hmm. in maybe in different words, in Mm. different, you know, how am I with me? In the world. In the world. Mm-hmm. It can sound, again, quite abstract. And I suppose it is in, in many mm-hmm. ways. But like The way you said, like, I am with myself and I am at home with myself and I, can, I love spending time mm-hmm. with myself and in solitude. So that way I do feel at home wherever. And I can even ignore where I am and be with myself and feel at home. And yet when I think about, okay, how do I bring myself in the world? How does the world resonate for me as a home? Where is the world a home for me. It's about the resonance between me and the world, or where my question is rooted. Not so much me with myself. Also, I understand that for sure for other people, that may not be the case. And it's really, really a gift to be able to be at home with oneself. I don't know if this would be answering your question, but I will try. 
when I was listening to you, I was thinking mm-hmm. about how I feel when mm-hmm. I'm in proximity to the mountains mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. living by the ocean and having the mountains right there. And when I drive through the Fraser Valley in particular, mm-hmm. there's mountains all the way around in every direction pretty well. And there's like the sense of being held mm-hmm. that I get when I'm there, like I'm in this kind of basin. And to me, it would be really, really hard to live in a place without Mm -hmm. mountains because I don't know, I orient to my space and myself somehow by seeing them that I can Mm -hmm. recognize where I am. And I think I would feel quite, I don't know, lost or exposed or something Mm -hmm. in a, in a flat place. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I also feel very drawn to the mountains, but I feel like, um, when the world, the landscape, the energy of the place resonates with my soul, there is that intimate dialogue and and dance. Like, I don't know if it's really a dialogue, it's not in words, but like it's a dance of the world and myself and or my soul. So that, yes, exactly. That's, thank you for that. And I don't think I can feel fully at home in all places on this planet and sadly not where I am right now. Does it, do you mean ever? I'm, I don't know. And now that's I'm like not, pushing, no. pushing I, I, beyond the existential I'm, limits here. I'm not asking a question of will you ever feel home, but uh, mm. what what I heard you saying is that it's never really been the case. Oh, no, no, I had experiences. I have okay. moments in most unexpected places, like, to be honest. Like, it wasn't even, like, definitely not in the expected places where people say, oh, yeah, I was born here, or I, mm. I have been living in this apartment for 10, 15 years Mm. Right, so no, I don't see. I don't see it as never. Mm. It's never possible. It's more of a longing, nostalgia. Mm. But it's there are moments of fulfillment of that. So something of what you said reminded me of a little a story, I suppose, uh, that I prepared and I really wanted to bring up in this on this topic about being multiple places. And in in South Africa, the Kosa people have in their language three different ways of asking where you're from. Mm-hmm. And so the first one is Ushlalapi, which is where do you live? Essentially, where's your house? Mm-hmm. Your, your, yeah, yeah. So that would be our 600 yeah. square feet apartments or mm-hmm. whatever. Then it's uh, Uvelapi, which is where do you come from? So mm-hmm. that would be kind of the region, the province, the country, if you like. And then the third one, and I don't remember the the phrase in, in Koza, but it translates to where is your umbilical cord buried? Oh, beautiful. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And all three of those are, mm-hmm. are have significance in and of them themselves, mm-hmm. right? Where you live, mm-hmm. where you're from, and that kind of speaks to tradition and history and ancestry, and then specifically even. So you can almost GPS coordinate it to mm-hmm. this literal place where your umbilical cord has been buried. I was reflecting over the past little while on what you had said, Mahila, about and I might not be paraphrasing this correctly, but how you are with yourself and then also finding home in the world. I really liked what you guys had said about being at home with yourselves. I think this has been an incredibly difficult journey for me. And I I certainly agree with Chelsea. Like I feel more at home with myself now than I ever have. But I also deeply empathize with the pain and the suffering that comes from feeling evicted from one's own inner world, Mm. not actually knowing what is there, not sensing anything that is there, feeling the emptiness or the void. And when all the lights go out and the TV turns off and there's no music and you're just in the quiet and then you don't feel a sense of anyone there, that to me speaks of like a, a lack of home in oneself. And I used to experience that. And I think that even though I don't experience it that way as much anymore, I still am going through quite a lot of changes in my belief systems and in my worldview. And this has shaken up my feeling of home with myself when that home is changing. And I'm not sure it could be the same as it was. And so when you were talking, Mahila, about that, like, walking in the street and there wasn't anybody out there and it was like eerie and it wasn't the home that you knew. I feel that, but I felt that in like in an inner way, in my own sense of self, like when the tides of change comes and there's like a quieting, there's an upset, but there's a quieting and how to find that ground in self when changing. So 
interestingly enough, even though all of this COVID stuff is happening, the world has changed. There's a ton of social change. I take a lot more comfort in the outside world right now, especially with nature and just the stability of nature. I mean, where I am, I mean, I'm not in Australia having experienced all those fires, but in my home, the nature, the landscape has not changed significantly. And the seasons come and spring is here and I kind of know what to expect. And I take so much comfort in that because my sense of inner home is changing. I think that is hard to talk about. Mm -hmm. It's hard to put to words, that feeling. I've been struck by what you said about being evicted from your mm. inner world, inner home, that really stayed with me, and how hard mm. you had to work to find ground and mm -hmm. home after being evicted. And I think that metaphor is powerful for what we live today. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, probably many people feel evicted from their sense of home, feeling at home. Yeah, I know that that feeling for me of eviction certainly was tied to some early losses. Mm -hmm. And losing a parent, for example, like the idea of like our parents being a home in the world for us, like mm -hmm. when earlier in the episode, when we were talking about safety, right? And the relationship between home and safety. And I think people can mediate that experience, they can be part of that, and that we can experience also being at home in our country with the landscape, in our physical dwelling, but we, we can very much feel at home with people in the relationships in our lives, relationship with ourselves, but relationship with other people too. I was also struck by the eviction comment too. Just it's a very like provocative statement. And I was thinking about it for myself because I've also changed a lot on the inside. But to me, it feels more like if I was to liken my inner self or landscape as a home, that someone else had decorated it with so many different pieces and things that don't actually resonate with me mm -hmm. and so in changing and kind of throwing things out and bringing in new things I'm engaging in this process of like redecorating my inner home so that it fits for me so that I feel comfortable there and it's really brought a sense of peace to do that that's a beautiful metaphor when you both talked about that that, that eviction that what came up for me was a misnurturing So in not nurturing, uh, not having had an experience of being nurtured in your inner home, because right? homes are tend to be nurturing places, right? It's where family is, it's where mm -hmm. parents are, but not for everybody. Not everybody gets nurtured and not everybody's sense of self and sense of home, their own inner structures gets nurtured. Um, you know, I think your, mm -hmm. your metaphor is fabulous. Yeah, this, It's my home, but it's being decorated by somebody else mm -hmm. with things that maybe look shiny, but aren't really me. Yeah. And there's a grief to it too. Mm -hmm. And throwing those things out or saying, you know, maybe I don't actually want that on my walls or mm -hmm. I don't want to live in a space that looks like mm -hmm. this and to bring in something new. But there is that grief of, okay, well, you know, maybe so-and-so gave this to me, maybe my family or my culture or the society I live in or my religion has given this to me. And, and now I'm booting it out the door. And for me, at least there's been a lot of grief in that, but totally. um, the sense of home that I experience now in myself with things that I've really kind of intentionally chosen that have resonated with me definitely makes it worth it. Yeah. Tradition mm -hmm. certainly has close ties to home and homeliness. And I think for all the reasons that you just highlighted very beautifully, Chelsea. And also that I think the ritual and the structure that comes with tradition serves as home as well. This like, I know where I stand, or I know what to expect, or I know my role or my place, how I can participate, like how I can bring myself into this tradition. Mm -hmm. And then moving out of tradition, whether it's certain cultural practices or religious practices, that certainly can result in a sense of groundlessness, homelessness, like, oh, how do I participate in this unknown that I find myself in? And I think that happens if there is a affinity resonance between who we are and those traditions. Because I guess, if not, probably the feeling of eviction mm -hmm. replaces the, what you just said, uh, Janelle, about finding um, ground in rhythms and 
rituals and all that. Mm-hmm. And I guess that brings again the point of like, it's not just about me with myself or the world is the traditions, but like about the meeting point, the, the coming together or not mm-hmm. of the two. There's an aspect of homelessness here that picked up again. I think the two of you, Janelle and Chelsea, maybe can speak to this and kind of, you know, having left a church, having left a community, if you like, and then I could imagine a, a sense of homelessness, like, so, well, if, I'm, if I don't belong there, mm-hmm. which I figured that part out, well, where do I belong? And then we kind of touched a little bit on homelessness earlier on in the episode, which is much more about a physical homelessness and an absence of sanctuary or of escape, mm-hmm. but also the whole idea of marginalization of homeless people. You know, so in most places, homeless people tend to not belong either to the greater society. And so what that kind of brings up and says about this topic. And yet there is a certain freedom. Being outside of societal rules and norms grants you a certain Mm -hmm. freedom. Indeed. Mm -hmm. And a certain homelessness. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting, like uh, freedom and homelessness together. Yeah, yeah. And Mm -hmm. I think that's the parallel we're drawing here. Mm -hmm. Like that balance, I think that's the risk sometimes in being Mm -hmm. free or even moving Mm -hmm. toward authenticity Mm -hmm. to, Mm -hmm. to decorate your own inner home that you can risk the home that you do know, the home that has been supportive for you. There are certain ties. I mean, like, have you highlighted church, right? Like growing up Mm. in in church that you call it a church family and the sanctuary, the actual building becomes like a home. And so certainly there's these very close ties in certain religions with home. But I think that that is always the risk in freedom and authenticity is sometimes you do risk your home your inner home. And Mm -hmm. also actually for quite a lot of people, their outer homes, their families as Mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. In, you know, for example, with like LGBTQ individuals and and coming out, many have suffered Mm -hmm. some very deep Mm -hmm. ruptures in relationships and have lost their home. If we we think about the ancient world, the kind of death penalty type stuff wasn't really a thing. It was much more about banishment. You're you're exiled from the land. You can never return. Mm-hmm. And then you become a wanderer, mm-hmm. an orphan, an orphan. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I really appreciate Janelle um, mentioning the <laughs> authenticity in this. Like, I think homelessness, not only in the physical sense, but in a also spiritual sense and uh, belonging. Like, definitely, authenticity is a great risk, mm-hmm. and or puts someone at great risk for becoming homeless and orphan. Mm-hmm. And yet, what's interesting about it is I think that it's it can be such a crucial step for totally. people toward mm-hmm. finding home in themselves that they can mm-hmm. carry with them everywhere. Because when you are your authentic self, there is a deep resonance with your own being. And that stays. So wh- whatever country I'm in or maybe whatever community I belong to, there's a rootedness with myself or mm-hmm. a, maybe a radical self-acceptance that actually forms perhaps a stronger ground, a firmer home for me than, than maybe was there before because it was built mm-hmm. by somebody else. Maybe only orphans can hope to find a home. It's really beautiful how you tied that all together, Janelle. And I do think it is resonant with a lot of people's experiences of coming home to themselves. Mm-hmm. And I do think that there is an element of wandering that is required and sojourning, like a sojourning of the soul or something like that, that is required where you have to be able to tolerate some spaciousness and blank space and openness towards what can be found in a new home. And uncertainty and the breakdown of the structures Mm -hmm. and traditions that we spoke about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because I, I went away to grad school. So I left Alberta, went to BC, did grad school there, and was very much aware that I was about to return. And there was this feeling of, okay, I feel my most authentic self that I've ever felt up until this point, and I hope I can continue on that journey. And I really had to wrestle with the returning to Edmonton, if it was something I consented to, because a part of me felt like it was failure, that I had left and then I was returning and that was hard. It wasn't necessarily what I wanted on some levels, although I did have consent to go back. But then returning was different. I cannot live in this place or be in this place 
the same as I was. And Edmonton, for example, as home for me is much different now than when I left because I came back with being more me. And so in being more me could relate to this city or this land that I'm now on in such a different way. But then also being more me brought up a lot more longings for different land, land of my ancestors. Now I wanted to know more about the land that my family had originated from. And I felt like a deep calling to go there. And so the Welsh have this term called hurai, which is not well translated in English, but essentially it means nostalgia for a home or like a homesickness. And it could be a home that you actually never even resided in, but you feel so deeply this soul longing to go back, to return, or just go to for the first time. And so for me, that was Ireland. And that didn't emerge for me until I had had really as I was moving back from BC to Alberta and I'd come back and thought, I need to put this horizon, this longing for Ireland to rest because maybe I meant to be there or maybe I just needed to go say hello. And I did go as it turns out and needed to say hello because when I got there, I had this deep longing to return to Canada and I was like, oh, damn it. A part of me really wanted to live a very epic adventure in Ireland for a little while. But it really helped me see, oh, I know I, I was born of Canadian land. I deeply feel Canadian. I don't know what that means of me coming from my ancestral land being settlers in Canada. And what does that mean about how I relate to the land and how it speaks to me? But I certainly feel called to be there. So I'm very grateful that to leave taught me something about returning in this deep way. Yeah, it's like the same theme, right? Leaving mm-hmm. something that we thought to be the thing or what we were told to be the thing. And then in order to be able to return to what corresponds more to ourselves. And also I, I really like um, what you said about the longing, Janelle, and that uh, Irish word. Horizon. Yeah, that is poorly translated. I'm not surprised, right? <laughs> Everything like poorly like, translated in English. It's kind of like having <laughs> the feeling, being at home in that longing and feeling home through that longing. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily by arriving or kind of touching the ground all the time, but keeping oneself in that longing. Zab, would you be willing to share a bit about your longing for South Africa? Oh, or your sure. feelings of home there? I'm going to pick um, on you a bit. No, that's okay. Just a slight side note. So my dad's family is Welsh. Oh, cool. My middle name is Welsh. And I have that, definitely had that longing, that feeling of connection to Wales. It happens particularly when listening to choral music, Welsh, traditionally Welsh male choral music. Mm-hmm. There's something quite moving and connecting there. And when I watch rugby, of course, but that's Canadians won't really understand that much. <laughs> But yeah, to in terms of my longing for South Africa, a little bit what you said, Janelle, in kind of being Canadian, but from elsewhere, originally, you know, kind of, what's the word with your family? Ancestrally, kind of <laughs> elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm a first generation South African, and yet I am, like, I feel very much African. Like, I'm, I am of that country. I'm of that land. I, I resonate with the soil, with the mountains, with the the ocean with with its history, bloodied as it is. And I, I miss it very, very much. I miss the heat of the sun, which is something you could, you can, you, know, you get sun in Canada, really. <laughs> Maybe not in Vancouver at least, mm-hmm. but it feels different. And that has, that's a geographical thing because the latitude is different, but mm-hmm. it, it, there's something wholly different about it, the way the sky is, the way the sunsets are, the way the, the sun rises are. All of that. And that's very much when I go into this idea of how or where I feel at home, even though I feel at home myself, that's very much the original home, if you like, not just in the literal sense. Like it, if we go into kind of like a Game of Thrones kind of thing or Lord of the Rings, you know, these big epic kind of maps where people mm-hmm. come from, like what mm-hmm. kind of people are they? Mm-hmm. Are they island people or mountain mm-hmm. people? That's the kind of people I am. That the phrase works, but the grammar is terrible. <laughs> mm. 
The best expression of being an African, of being from there, and that being my home that I ever heard was the speech given by the second democratic president of South Africa, Thabo Mbeki, on his inauguration, where he's opening a parliament in, I think, 1999. And his speech was, I am an African, and documents all the history of, of South Africa and Africa. And one of the lines is something like, I'm an African and let none dare challenge me on that assertion, which I thought was really, really neat, right? Because mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. it's how he, and by extension, South Africans feel, right? This mm-hmm. is who I am. This is where I'm from. This is my home. And you don't get to take that away from me, even mm-hmm. if you physically do. That's powerful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's incredible. It is incredibly powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, again, it shows like the the intimacy with the world, and the, mm-hmm. as you said, like the yes. sun, the geographical landscape. Yes, hugely. Mm-hmm. That corresponds to you, and you belong to to it. it. Yeah, it's yeah. like that very beautiful, you know, coming together mm-hmm. of the outside and inside. Yes. So it's not only that I'm inside at home, which is great, but you you find a, a home yeah. in resonance with what is already you. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. And I'm wondering, like, how is it for you to live apart from that home? Hmm. On a day-to-day basis, it's pretty good. It's okay. It's, you know, I've made a home here and I feel attached to Vancouver in ways. And then in the more lonely moments or in the more distant moments, then, yeah, it's it's quite a an experience of a kind of, a, I'd say, a melancholic experience, somewhere between nostalgia and grief, mm. where I'll watch clips on YouTube or I'll listen to music or I'll phone my best friend back home and and I'll so enjoy that and be so sad about it simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the love and the grief are in relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I can relate to what you said about mm-hmm. nostalgia and grief. Like just not really on an everyday basis. First when you asked the question I saw that how is it to be like outside the apartment and coming to work and stuff like that? And I said, Oh great. But that what you meant like when South started answering, I realized like you meant like not to live in the place of your birth. Yeah. Or okay. Yeah, I think like nostalgia, grief, but I, I don't think my nostalgia and grief is just for that particular geographical space. Also I definitely find myself more, you know, in that uh, soul intimacy with that place but for me it's more i mean it's a bit broader and it's a sense of homesickness but i'm not sure that it's attached to a specific geographical place there may be like um, characteristics of a place but because i felt it even with other places not just on my birthplace i have a hunch that it goes beyond such a tight geographical you know placement But the feelings are definitely nostalgia, grief, homesickness, and unresolvable in a way. Like it's not like when you grieve over a person, of course, it's that may take, uh, you may feel that for your entire life, but it feels a little bit more contained and is more tangible in a way. But there is something more, less contained and less solvable about this, Mm. about homesickness for me. Like it's more diffuse. It cuts deeper. Mm-hmm. Or perhaps even that it will never be mm-hmm. re- Yeah, that's my- uh, Re-somethinged. Mm-hmm. That's, um, that's my yeah. hunch. Like yeah. like the sense that it's, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Yeah, because I can feel that when I think mm-hmm. of having those nights where I'm, you know, mm-hmm. kind of feeling really homesick. Mm-hmm. I could get on a plane, well, not at the moment, but mm-hmm. like, normally I could get on a plane mm-hmm. and go and I could move back then, but for whatever reason I don't. And the reasons are numerous and- probably insufficient as well. Mm-hmm. And do you think that if you really took the plane and moved, would you feel healed? Mm. <sighs> That's a very good question. That's a <laughs> very, very good question. Yeah, because I ask myself the same thing and I don't, mm. my sense is that no. I mean, what mm. has been kind of broken or like, mm-hmm. or lost? Mm. Maybe that's a better word. It's, yeah. Yeah, I think partly that has to do with that a lot of, I think, homesickness, at least for me, mm-hmm. resides in nostalgia. Mm-hmm. It resides in how it used to be or how I remember it being rather than how it was or how it is now. But then the other thing, and because we're existentialists and we haven't talked about death at all, I suggest that part of it is because of the impermanence of everything, right? It won't always be there, neither will I. And so I think that's maybe where that, you know, I was trying to think, is this kind of in that existential isolation part? or? Mm. But it, it for me, it kind of tended much more towards that 
not a loneliness, but a, there isn't anything else. It's mm-hmm. over. I wonder too mm-hmm. if people experience that when they are the last of their their family uh, or next of kin, like when they've lost their grandparents and their parents. I haven't lost my parents, so mm-hmm. but I can imagine if I were to lose them, how it would feel being like the oldest in my family mm-hmm. and what would that do to the ties that I feel towards my hometown mm-hmm. and my sense of home. Yeah, I think certainly, I know my mother is the, what do we call her, the keeper of stories maybe in my family, mm-hmm. in her family, and even in my dad's family, oddly enough, which is funnier if you know the whole history. But but yeah, that's somebody who carries that mm-hmm that ancestry who carries, this is what your grandfather did. This is what your great grandfather, this is where they came from. This is all this stuff. And that very rarely gets transmitted to many. Usually it's one person, one in the next generation. And even then it's not always the case. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a good, very, very good point. I like what you said about impermanence. Mm -hmm. I had a moment of reflecting on my body is home just like a month ago. And I did end up shedding some tears in my reflection that that I'll leave my body, that one day I'll be departed from my body. And whatever we want to say happens to us after we die is a whole other discussion. (laughs) Growing up, (laughs) let's not go there. Um, But, you know, growing up within a certain Christian tradition, that is part of it. It's it's what happens after we die is certainly a teaching that, that I grew up with. And quite so that many people will focus on that as a comfort and in this joining with God after death. And then as I've been shifting some of my worldviews, realizing that, oh, in thinking about the permanence, like eternity for so much of my life, looking forward to that, I've neglected the beauty of the impermanence. Uh Mm -hmm. And I just kind of imagine, when I didn't really imagine, eventually I did, laid on the grass and just felt myself be part of the earth. And grieve mm-hmm. that, yeah, one day I'll be parted from it. Mm-hmm. I won't feel it anymore and relate to it in a physical way. And that I love it so much. But also to comfort in that the earth will keep me. It will digest mm-hmm. me. But yes, it, exactly. <laughs> it mm-hmm. will keep me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was about to say when you said departed from the earth, I said, well, after death, our bodies, ourselves will. Mm-hmm be digested by the earth and will become part of it. Yeah. Until it explodes. Oh my gosh. (laughs) 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 Oh dear. But yeah. Is there anything else that needs to be said or you'd like to say about the topic of home? I think we've covered quite a few different layers of it, to Mm -hmm. say the least. So we invite you to continue to reflect on the topic of home and what home is like for you and what home is like for you on the outside of your life, what home is like in your inner world, how do you experience home, where do you find home, maybe who is home to you. We're also going to leave you with the next existential question to kind of wink at our next episode, and that is, how do I deal with boredom? What do I do when I'm bored? And we look forward to hearing from you. Follow us on Instagram at Existentialist Podcast and let us know your answer to today's existential question. To learn more about us, listen to and learn about other episodes, visit our website at existentialistpodcast.com.